Okay. And story begins. Um, I think I think this recorder's on. Okay, yeah, it is. Okay, so we're on chapter nine of Tanya, page one hundred and twelve in our books. This is technically a new section of Tanya. Tanya doesn't have any formal sections. It's fifty-three chapters. But there's different topics, and informally there's, there's new ideas. Chapter 9 is kind of a new section. The first eight chapters that we've been doing, we've been describing the souls, the two souls. We've been describing their temperaments, their drives, their personalities, um, we've been, we've explained basically that there's three parts to a soul. To put it in a nutshell, there's three parts to a soul. Sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to even break it down even simpler. There's two parts to a soul. There's its personality and there's its behavior. To break it up more specifically within personality, there's the intellect and the emotions. Two parts of the soul. And then the behavior, that's the third part of the soul. Behavior means thought, speech, and action. When, when I use behavior in this context, I'm referring to the garments of the, thought, of the soul. Those are thought, speech, and action. All those things can be, are, are things we have control over. So they're considered to be behavior. They're things that we're doing actively. There's the behavior. There's the thought, speech, and action. The emotions, the intellect. These three parts of the animal soul, the behavior, the emotions, the intellect, these three parts of the soul, of the godly soul, of the divine soul. And we've been... So now in chapter 9, what we're doing is actually explaining or getting to the actual battle of the two souls. Um, by the way, my internet connection is a little bit weak, so if at any point you can't hear me, um, just let me know. I probably won't be able to hear you, so I'm not sure how that will work, but... <laughs> So far, so good. Okay, so far, okay, sounds good. So now we're explaining the battle between the two souls. In order to understand the battle that these two souls have, it's important to understand the locality of these two souls. And that's how the chapter opens up. If you look on the page 112, he describes where each soul is located in the body the animal soul is located primarily he says in the heart let's read it inside it's the first bold paragraph on page 112 the animal soul from klipas noga we explained the idea of klipa this shell distorts our our understanding of reality we judge reality by what we see rather than by what is and that's really what the animal soul is all about Focusing on instant gratification, what it sees, rather than the meaning behind something, the soul behind something. This soul, within every person of Israel, we said it's generally found in the blood, right? But has a location in the body where it primarily rests, which is in the heart. The animal soul primarily rests in the heart. The left chamber of the heart that's filled and energized with blood. The left side is the animal soul. 
I'm going to jump to the bottom, to the last line of this very paragraph, which is why all your desires, pride, anger, etc., come from the heart. All of our negative traits, for the most part, are emotional. Our arrogance, our desires, our negative passions, all of these come from the heart because that's where the animal soul is primarily located. Now, here's something interesting. Okay, before we get there, before I go on, that's the animal soul. The animal soul is located in the heart. Where is the divine soul located? In the brain. The brain. Wait, but right? wait, is there something later about the right chamber, though? Yes, yes. So the animal soul is just in the left, but there's something in the next page about the right chamber. About the right, correct, exactly. Okay. So, so the divine soul is located in the brain and also the heart, the, the right part of the heart. Okay. So he says on the top of 113, but the place where the divine soul primarily rests is in the brain and the head, from where it flows to all the organs, and it also has a second resting place in the heart. And he says in the next paragraph, this is referring to the right side of the heart. Oh, we have Judy. Hey, Judy. Judy. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. I didn't need to use a password, by the way. Really? Yeah, either. Okay. Yeah. I did. It asked me for my password. That's so interesting. It didn't ask me either, so I was kind of surprised. I, the reason why I did the password is because there's been a lot of cases of, yeah. of Zoom bombers. Yeah. I, I read that. Yeah, that we so, don't need. So I just didn't want to want any of that. Anyways. So what we're saying is that they, so these are the two localities of the two souls. The animal soul is located in the heart. The divine soul, and that's why all negative emotions stem from the heart. The divine soul is located in the brain. It also is located in the left, on the right side of the heart. Now, what does this tell us about these two souls, their locations? What does it tell us about Wait, their personality? The animal soul stems from the heart. But the divine soul stems from the right side of the heart. The right side of the heart and the brain. So the right side of the heart has both souls? So, said, so, the, so the left side of the heart would be the animal soul? Oh, the, the left side. Okay, you just said the heart. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, sorry about that. The right side of the heart would be the divine soul. The brain would also be the divine soul. Okay. These are but where they stem from. But don't thought, doesn't the heart have to work together to pump blood? So do those two souls meet? Good question. So it says that the, the blood comes from the left part of the heart. Um, the, um, the blood also refers to the animal soul. We said earlier in chapter one, it says the blood is the soul. It's a verse from Deuteronomy. The blood represents the animal soul. Um, interestingly enough, the blood is life. The blood represents that soul. According to Jewish law, you know, there's 39, this is kind of a, a side thing, but it's just, I find it to be very interesting. You know, the prohibited works that we don't do on Shabbos, there's 39 general prohibited works. Those are the 39 act, um, activities they did to construct the temporary um, Mishkan, temporary tabernacle, um, resting place for God in the desert. And there we go. You have it? Okay, there we go. Yeah, those are the 39. And so those 39 activities are the 39. There we go, Judy. The 39 general activities, which we don't do on Shabbos. For example, one of the more well-known ones, lighting a fire. Igniting a fire, we wouldn't do on Shabbos. And that, those have subcategories. Um, you know, electricity might fall under fire or, or whatever it is. So 
one of the things we can't do on Shabbos is draw blood. Unless it's for a life and death, you know, somebody who's diabetic might need to, but if it's not for a life and death situation, drawing blood is prohibited on Shabbos. What category does drawing blood fall under? Drawing blood falls under the category of, of slaughtering, of killing. Mm. Because when a person, because just like when you kill an animal, you're taking its soul away, you're taking its life away. When you draw blood, you're taking out life. You're extracting life because the, li- the blood is the soul. When we say the blood is the soul, though, we're referring to our energizing soul, our animal soul, our general life vitality, just the fact that we physically are alive. That's our animal soul. What if it happens on Shabbos by accident, like a child falling and gets a boo-boo? Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's fine. If it's by accident, it's, we're talking about intentionally. Okay. Yeah, good question. Um, but the point is that the animal souls are not only our, vitali- our, our, our physical vitality, where we just breathe and, and live from, but it's also a personality. And that's kind of what we've been focusing on in our, in our discussions, the personalities of the soul. The fact that the animal soul, its source is in the heart, teaches us that it's primarily emotional. It's primarily reactive. It's primarily instinctual because it's in the heart. That's, where this, that's the source of emotions. The divine soul is primarily in the brain. It's also in the right side of the heart. But it's not just, it is emotional, has an emotional side to it, but it's also intentional. It's in the brain. It's intentional. It's thought out. It's calculated. What other, there's another word I was looking for and I can't, it's not coming to mind. But these are the differences between the two souls. But here's something really interesting. The animal soul is not just emotional. The animal soul knows how to manipulate us. The animal soul is very good at manipulating us. And here, here's where, what it says. Um, if you look on back to page 112, the second bold paragraph. The prior paragraph said that the animal soul starts off in the heart. And here's what he says. From the heart, in the second paragraph, the animal soul spreads throughout the whole body and also goes up to the head, to the brain, where those feelings which emerge in the heart are thought about, contemplated, and shamed upon by the animal soul. It starts off as an emotion. It ends up going up to the brain. We start justifying it. We start justifying our emotions, right? How often do we There's something where we have an impulse to do something that perhaps we shouldn't have, we shouldn't be doing. It's not necessarily the right thing to do, but we start justifying it. We start making sense of it. We start explaining to ourselves why it's okay. That's the animal soul starting off in the heart going up to the brain and we say, oh, it makes sense. It must be okay. No, we just justified it. (laughs) All that happened is that the animal soul rose above to our minds and we made sense of it. We've just been manipulated. Um, And and don't feel bad about it. That's just, that happens. (laughs) We'll talk more about animal soul guilt later in chapter 27 and chapter 26 as well. Um, The animal soul guilt and the, the guilt and shame We'll talk more about that later. But over here, we're discussing more the, the, the psychological mechanics of it. The animal soul is emotional, and we start justifying it in our minds. The divine soul is the exact opposite. 
It's intellectual. It's intentional. It makes sense. It's objectively right. And I'll start trying to feel passionate about it with my heart. So is my mind justifying my heart? Or is my, or is my mind guiding my heart? See the difference? That's how you know if it's animal soul or divine soul. Is my mind justifying my heart? Or is my mind guiding my heart? Am I trying to make sense of my feelings? Or am I trying to guide my feelings? Who's guiding me? Who's controlling me? This is the war. This is the fight between the animal soul and the divine soul. One is intentional. One is emotional. Impulsive. Am I justifying the impulse? That's likely, it's not 100% the case, but it likely is the animal soul. Might not be the animal soul because the godly soul does have passion to it. But if I'm justifying my impulse, that's likely the animal soul. And if I'm just, or if I'm trying to guide my emotions with my mind, not just justify them, that's likely the divine soul. This is the this is the fight. This is the battle that the animal soul has, and the divine soul has within us. This is the battle we face every day. I was totally facing this battle up until yesterday regarding Passover this year because I, and with what's going on, there was such depression. I said, I'm just not going to do it. I even canceled my order from Western kosher. I'm not going to do it. I just, I can't, I, I don't care. And then as of last night, I, you know, I changed my mind. Uh, you know, of course I'm going to do a Seder and, virtual and what whatever even though it's just me and i'm going you know so my animal soul was dealing with it for about almost a week and i really didn't call fruma or raleigh because i knew you know um that they would try and i was not going to allow myself to be convinced that i was going to do it this year <laughs> and then i finally decided um with my daughter and you know, and now I have nothing. I have no food, I have no pace off stuff. And so I called Bruma to work through it. But I mean, to me, that is my perfect example of my, in this area of my animal soul and my divine soul working together, how I was justifying why I wasn't going to do it. And then so very interesting that that's what we're talking about that, today. That's a great example. Very yeah. practical, real-life example. And what's cool is that you won. Your divine yeah. soul won. And, and by the way, that's what we refer to as the personal exodus from Egypt. In being imprisoned and bonded within Egypt, the word Egypt in Hebrew is Mitzrayim, which has the root word Metzar, boundary. Narrow. Also, right. narrow street. Yeah, yeah, a metzar is a very narrow space. It's some sort of confinement constriction. And when we are slaves to our impulses and to our feelings, we're stuck in Egypt. But when we make that paradigm shift and realize, no, 
I don't have to just justify my feelings. I can guide them. We've broken free. We've left Egypt. It says in the in the Talmud that the and we, we quote this in the Haggadah also. We say, "Behold, door of a door." In every single generation, a person has to see themselves as if they left Egypt. Leaving Egypt is not just something we commemorate. It's something we try to relive, to relive our own Egypt. And Judy, that's what you've done. You've left your own Egypt. You've left your own constrictions. And that's kind of what we're trying to do with Tanya. The whole goal of Tanya, ultimately, is to get us out of our limited box so we can break free. And it, it's ironic because making a Pesach Seder, as difficult as it is, is freedom. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm yes. doing what my soul wants. Doing something difficult, hard, challenging. But it's me. It's who I am deep down inside, and that's freedom. That's real freedom. Yeah, and then also thinking of all the Jews around the world on ventilators that can't this year, cannot. And, you know, it also made it feel a little selfish to me that, you know, I should do this also for these people who can't. There's also a wonderful thing going around the internet about how the Rebbe celebrated Pesach alone. Right, I saw that story. I have that, I have that. You saw that story? Yeah, Raleigh and Fruma both sent it to me independently of each other. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, I know the story. You know, because for for all of us who are used to a Seder of 20-something-odd people, the thought of just the two of us sitting here alone. Just challenging. Um, and, you know, sitting and making the horosis and making the everything else and cooking. And then just the two of us. And it, it just feels so wrong. It's right, but it feels so wrong. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it, that's a beautiful story that was circulating. If Whoever didn't read it, I, I, I'm happy to send it. It's really encouraging. I think I missed it. Could you send it to me? Yeah, I'll yeah, send I, it to you. I missed it too. Yeah? Okay, I'll, I'll send it out. I'll send it out. It's, it, it was going around, but I'll... No, it's, it's, it's a beautiful... I have that I can send. So. It was when, when the Rebbe's um, wife passed away. It's the story of his, his first Pesach alone all by himself and people invited him over and he, he declined and it's an interesting story. It's, it's an encouraging story. So, so just to recap, the animal soul is located primarily in the heart. It's emotional, impulsive, instinctual, reactive. And it also goes up to the brain. In other words, it tries to justify itself um, and tries to make sense of, of what it's doing. The divine soul is the exact opposite. It starts off in the brain. It's also in the heart. So it emotion, and, and it's trying to guide the heart rather than justify the heart. Now, by the way, Interesting thing, if you look in Tanya here, when he's explaining the localities of the two souls, and this, he explains the animal soul first before the divine soul, which you'd think that the divine soul should come first. It's the holier one, it's the more meaningful one, it's the real one. 
right? That's the one we're trying to, to live with. The reason why he mentions the animal soul first is because that just happens to be our worldview as people. We're born into the animal soul. We're born with an animal soul worldview. And we're trying to develop inspiration and trying to become more conscious of the animals, of the divine soul. But the one we're more intimately familiar with, unfortunately, is the animal soul. That's just how we're wired. And we're trying to get inspired and get in touch with and develop access and trying to access the, the divine soul. We'll talk more about this later in chapter 29. Okay, let's take a look on page 114. On page 114, the bottom um, second, there's like a single isolated bold line um, on the bottom of 114, the second to last bold paragraph. Despite this, despite the, this, the separate localities of these two souls, however, the verse states, and one nation shall overpower the other nation. This is from Genesis. Does anybody recognize this verse? Does it sound familiar? Is that um, when um, you can come say hi? Hi, Murray. Hey, Murray. When Jacob and Esau were wrestling in the womb? Yep, exactly. Got it. Exactly. So Rivka, Rebecca Rivka was pregnant. And she had a very difficult time becoming pregnant. Torah says it took her 20 years to conceive. She finally conceived. And it says she was in so much pain, such excruciating pain. She, she almost regretted becoming pregnant. She said, what did I get into this for? And the pain was not just physical pain. The pain was actually emotional pain. Because the Talmud says she would walk by a synagogue, a house of prayer, somewhere holy and she'd feel kicking the baby's ready to get out and she was excited my kid wants to come out <laughs> at the synagogue she would walk near a house of idolatry and the baby would be kicking and she says oh no my baby's totally confused and it was causing her a lot of emotional distress she went to receive counsel and she found out with divine intervention that it's not one baby trying to go to two different places that's confused. It's actually two different babies. She has twins. And she says you have two. That she was told and advised that you have two different nations who want very, two very different things. But unfortunately, here's the bad news. One nation shall overpower the other nation. They're going to constantly be fighting. They're not just driven towards two separate things. They're actually fighting each other. Uh -oh. We have these two separate nations within us. We have the Jacob, the divine soul. We have the ace of the animal soul. And they don't just have different desires and, okay, you do your thing, I'll do mine. They're actually trying to fight and win over the body, ourselves. They're trying to win over ourselves. Good to know, so my daughter's having twins. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully so, she'll have two Jacobs. Yeah. <laughs> so when, you go up, when you go up to heaven, which soul, I mean, is it your right heart or your left heart that goes with you? Good question. Good question. Um, good question. In other words, who's the real you? 
Right. Who's the real you? There's actually a third soul. And it's interesting. It, this third soul is elaborated uh, um, on in other places. Tan, in the Tanya, he never overtly mentions this third soul. He alludes to it. He hints to it at the end of chapter 2. He hints to it in the beginning of chapter 11, which we'll see in a couple of weeks from now. But he doesn't mention it overtly. This third soul, the reason why, is because... So, I have to decide my internal, which soul am I internalizing, right? But who's the me? If I'm deciding whether I internalize the animal soul or the divine soul, then who's the me that's making that decision? That's the third soul. And that's called the intellectual soul, the thinking soul. And the reason why he doesn't overtly mention that there's this third soul is because he's actually talking to this third soul, which is the me, the playing field where this battle is taking place. Um, I think that's where I think that's what we use to experience in heaven. That soul. That soul is where our experience comes from. Um, in answer to your question, Zach, that, that's where our experience comes from. And which one are we internalizing? And what we take to heaven is our is our choice. But didn't uh, we discuss earlier that when somebody <clears throat> dies and the period of 30 days, when we sit Shiva, that even those who were bad lived life in their animal soul, were inertly, you know, doing bad things, that after Shiva, after 30 days, the all that it's all divine souls that go to heaven didn't wasn't that a class that we had a few weeks back so we we mentioned in, in last week's class we mentioned the idea the whole idea of what heaven is what hell is what purgatory is and it's basically a cleansing process right in a nutshell but we yeah and we talked about it earlier than that talking uh, that i thought that after 30 days of shiva or or you know, everyone's in purgatory, but then by the time they go to heaven, that every soul is a divine soul. Yeah, 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 yeah. Murderers and people in, you know, prisons. Exactly. So, so in other words, Zach's question kind of goes <clears throat> back to how much cleansing one needs. Right. From the, from the animal soul. Exactly. But it's not 30 days. It's not necessarily 30 days. 11 months. 11 months. Well, the 11 months would be the, the mourning period. The maximum for maximum sentence. Yeah, right. exactly. That's the maximum sentence, but exactly. By, by our time or by God's time? <laughs> you know what? I, somebody said, somebody just told me a cute joke. Said this guy dies, goes to heaven, and... He's expected to be greeted by these ministering angels, but God himself greets him. And all the different delicacies described in heaven. And it's time for, it's time for the big feast. And there's Chinese takeout. Yes. And he says, okay, but you know, it sounds like heaven. I like this. He says, um, honorable Lord, I love Chinese takeout. It's just, you know, heaven, I would expect milk and honey, big vines and grapes, you know, that's usually how it's depicted. You know, a whole presentation with the flowing milk and the honey. What's with the Chinese takeout and, and, and fountain soda? He says, 
you look, it's just you and me. I figured I'd do takeout. <laughs> anyway, so, so <laughs> these two souls are like the Asav and the Jacob. And they're not just doing their two own thing. They're actually trying to overpower the body. And as our chapter said on the bottom of 114, the body is considered like a small city with two kings trying to overpower the city, trying to dominate its inhabitants. The animal soul and the divine soul are both trying to dominate. And it's very important to, remind, to remember, they're not just trying to dominate our behavior. Right? A soul is not just behavior. They're trying to dominate our personality, how we feel, what we think about, our thought process, our worldview. And that's why we don't just call it a good inclination and a bad inclination, which is what, you know, in, in traditional Talmudic literature, and it's 100% true, every person has a good inclination and a bad inclination. How am I going to behave? Right? But Kabbalah, which is what the basis, of, which is the teachings in which Tanya is based on, went a little bit deeper and said it's not just inclinations, it's actually souls. Because it's not just a question of how I'm going to behave, it's a question of who I'm going to be. How I'm going to think, how I'm going to feel, what my worldview is. And my worldview will impact my behavior. So the divine soul's will is not just that we act good. This is in a perfect world. A tzaddik will hack this perfectly, and we'll talk about more about that later, what the expectation is. But <laughs> theoretically, in a perfect world, what the soul actually wants, what, what the actual expectation is for each of us as individuals, we'll get there in a couple of weeks from now. But what the divine soul actually wants in a perfect world is to totally dominate. The way I process and think is in line with God, a divine way. The way I feel and what I'm passionate about is divine, is, is divine things. My behavior, my thought, speech, and action are all in line with the will of God, with Torah. That's what the divine soul wants. Um, th this is on page 115. 115, second paragraph. <coughs> Your divine soul's desire and will is for exclusive role, sorry, rule, <laughs> is for exclusive rule over you and your conduct. Not just your conduct, not just how you behave, but actually you, how you think and feel. So, to put it real practically, the divine soul wants us to meditate. That's what it wants us to use our minds for. To meditate on the greatness of God, on the relevance of God, on our relationship of God, on God's purpose and vision for humanity. Um, what our values are. It should be divine God-given values. Right? That's more the emotional side of what I feel, what I'm passionate about, and then how I conduct myself, how I behave. This is all the divine soul's will. <clears throat> now, the divine soul 
wants us to think about God. And, and we, we mentioned earlier in chapter three, the more I think, the more I feel, right? Um, in the divine soul, the feelings are called the children of the intellect. Emotions are children of the intellect because that's what produces in, uh, emotions. The more I understand something, the more passionate I am about it. Um, when it comes to more mundane things, when it comes to the animal soul, I'm usually just passionate about whatever feels good. But when it comes to the divine soul, I'm passionate about what I conceptualize. Right? The more my Judaism makes sense to me, and the more I understand it, better, uh, the more vivid my picture of it is, the more interested I'm in. So those feelings were produced by my emotion, by, by, those emotions were produced by my intellect. And when I produce those feelings, there are two steps. Um, this is on the bottom of 116. There's two steps in producing feelings. So let, I'm passionate about my relationship with God, my relationship with my people, my heritage. And step number one is I'm passionate enough that I could subdue negative feelings, right? The effect of this love that I've developed will be to subside, will be enough to subdue, sorry, the sitra akhra. Sitra akhra means that negative klipa energy and its negative element of water, its desire, etc. So I'm passionate enough that I could at least subdue negative behavior. But then there's a deeper level of passion where I'm not just passionate enough to tame the animal soul, but I'm actually going to reroute and redirect the animal soul. And this is on the bottom, the way bottom of 116. The love from this right side ought to be so powerful that it not only changes, but ultimately transforms the left side from seeking worldly pleasures to love of God. So there's two steps in the divine soul's dominance over the animal soul. Number one, it's forcing the animal soul to get involved in its Judaism. It's forcing me to do a mitzvah. I don't want to, but my divine soul is, okay, I'll do it because I'm passionate and I love God and I'll do it because I have to. That's taming the animal soul, right? That's wrestling and fighting and forcing the animal soul. But if I get enough passion and enough inspiration, I could get to the point where I don't have to do this stuff. I want to do this stuff because I'm just so passionate about it. This is just who I am. So I'm not just forcing my animal soul. I'm not just dragging it on a leash. My animal soul wants it, right? I've redirected my animal soul. If we look back on the narrative of Esau and Jacob, which represent the two different souls, Isaac, who did Isaac want to give the blessings to? So. To Asaph, right? Mm -hmm. He was the evil son, yet he, he wanted to give the blessings to him. Why? He was the firstborn. He was the firstborn, and, and if you look at the story on a very literal level, Isaac seemed very oblivious. He thought Asaph was a, was a good boy, a good boy chick, right? And Rivka knew better. She knew that Jacob was a good, was a good boy chick and that he should be getting the blessings. But on a deeper level, on a mystical level, Isaac wasn't oblivious. He wanted Asaph to have the blessings because he saw potential in Asaph. He's this animal soul. Let me reroute him. Let me redirect him. 
our first step in our relationship with our animal soul is to force it to do what it needs to do. Sometimes I'm not interested in, you know, like your Seder example that you gave her, Judy, right? And we all have these personal little examples in our own lives. There's things we should be doing and we don't want to. But conceptually, from a divine soul perspective, we know we should. And we force ourselves. That's step number one. But at some point, we shouldn't have to force ourselves. At some point, it's not something I have to do. It's something I want to do. Um, if you look on page 117, as it's written, the first bold paragraph, there's only a few bold words there, but uh, it's the second paragraph on the page of 117. As it's written, this is an excerpt from the Shema. You should love God with all your heart. And the word heart is levavcha. Um, if you look on the top in the Hebrew, levavcha, your heart. Um, grammatically, it would have made more sense to say libcha, with one bet. But over here, it's two bets. The reason why there's two bets, because that represents both sides of the heart. And the Talmud actually explains this. The reason why it doesn't just say lev, Libcha, it says levavcha, two bets, is because it's referring to both sides of the heart, both of your impulses. We have to love God not just with the animal, the divine soul. Because by the way, that's no biggie. The divine soul pretty much loves God already. We have to love God with the animal soul too. Ultimately, our job is to engage and get the animal soul involved so that we're one big passionate being. Instead of fighting the animal soul and taming it, let's learn how to train it to write it. This is all in a perfect world. It's not necessarily easy. Necessarily not easy. A tzaddik will totally master this. Us, we're going to have our moments where we're riding with our animal soul and we're super passionate on every level. And we're going to have our moments where we're less passionate. We're passionate enough to force ourselves, but we're not passionate enough that we're just, this is what I want to do. I'm passionate enough to the extent where this is what I have to do. It's just two different levels. And we're going to be fluctuating back and forth. That's just the way we are. And we try our best. So just to, to summarize, level number one, I'm passionate to the extent where I'm going to do this because I have to, even though I don't want to, but I'm passionate. And I'll for Level number two, I'm passionate that I'm going to do this because I want to, not just because I have to. where I've totally redirected my animal soul, trained it, now I can ride it. This is what the animal soul, the divine soul wants. It wants to take over this city, right? It's like a king over this small city. It wants to dominate. It went over not just our behavior, but our emotions and our thought process, our worldview. The animal soul wants the exact opposite, right? It wants our worldview to be self-centered. It wants our emotions to be lustful. It wants our behavior to be frivolous and just to do whatever feels good. And this goes back to where the two souls are located. Right? The animal soul located in the heart. And it goes up to the mind. My mind justifies how I feel. And the divine soul says no. It starts in the mind and tries to guide how it feels. And ultimately, this will impact its behavior as well. Now, we're going to jump ahead to 121. 
says something interesting. What is the purpose of this battle? Why is the animal soul, why does the animal soul want to dominate? So the divine soul, by the way, just to take a step back, the reason why the divine soul wants to dominate the body is because that's exactly why God sent it there. That's what God sent it there for. God sent the divine soul on a mission. Let's make this world holy. Let's make this world a home for God. The world at large, but it starts with the small world, which is the body, which is the individual person. So it makes sense why the divine soul wants to dominate because that's its whole purpose. Its whole purpose is to... So that so now God becomes our worldview and our purpose in our in our existence. It's like a mini shliach from God, right? It, go, it goes to this world, to this middle of nowhere body where it's totally out of place, and it's there to inspire. So it makes sense why it wants to dominate. But why does the animal soul want to dominate? What do we gain from this? Um, ego. Isn't that your animal soul? You, it's all ego. Okay, good. Part of it's ego. But there is actually, ironically, a divine intent behind it. It actually has good intentions. What he says is, um, let's look on the bottom of, I said 121. I'm sorry, the bottom of 120, though. All the way in the bottom of 120. However, the animal soul, which is from Klepa, wills the exact opposite, the exact opposite of the divine soul. Now jump to the top of 121. What's the purpose of this? But the animal soul and its negative drive is ultimately for your good. It exists only so that you will be challenged to overcome it and be victorious over it. And the Zohar gives them a, a, a parable. If you jump down to the next bold paragraph, as in the harlot analogy, Related in the Zohar, in the Holy Zohar. So the Zohar gives an analogy, and he, he, he says the whole analogy over here. If you read it later, or if you've read it already, that's also good. But I'll give you the analogy just in a nutshell. In a nutshell, there's a king who wants to preserve the loyalty and humanity of his son, the prince. And he says, look... I've raised you all my life with certain values. And, I'm, and he wants to test to make sure that he's done a good job raising his little boy chick. So he hires a beautiful woman to seduce his son. Now, the king who hired this woman to seduce his son wants the son to resist. The lady that is trying to seduce the son is an agent of the king. So she also wants the son to, seduce, to resist. But she has a job to do. So everybody wants the son to resist. And it's the same thing with the animal son, the animal soul, the evil inclination. God sends the evil inclination to seduce us, to try to get us engaged in behavior and feelings and emotions that are inappropriate. God wants us to resist. The animal soul is an agent of God wants us to resist. It just has a job to do. But when we do resist, we've proved to ourselves. We've made ourselves better people. But think about this. Next time we feel challenged by the animal soul, let's challenge it back and say, hey, wait a minute. 
do you actually want me to do this? Do you actually believe this? Why should I believe in this? You want me to do the right thing. You're just challenging me to make me a better person. And I just want to conclude with a beautiful insight that I actually read this morning. Um, I'm going to share the screen with you. Um, where are we? Right here. Okay. Hold on. Okay. Can you see the screen? Yeah. Okay. So, Hayom Yom, the 8th of Nisan. Hayom Yom is a calendar okay. that was authored by the Lubavitch Rebbe, and it's basically a daily dose of inspiration for every single day of the year. Um, and today is the 8th of Nisan, and today's Hayom Yom. He writes that every soul has its designated divine service in the realm of intellect and emotion, each according to its nature and disposition. It is written, and he quotes a verse from Psalms, from Tehillim chapter 119, make me wise from my enemies. The simple explanation on that verse is, we're asking God, King David's asking God, please make me more wise than my enemies. But the more esoteric explanation a more meaningful explanation, perhaps. Make me wise, literally, from my enemies. I literally want to become wise from my enemies, learn from my enemies. That is, from the negative leanings that a person senses in his own undeveloped character traits. He can gain wisdom and know how to tackle his tasks of self-refinement and how to harness his personal strengths to God's service. Make me wise from my enemies means let me learn from my animal soul how to be a better person. Not just become wiser than it, but actually let me learn from it. The whole purpose in being challenged by the animal soul ultimately is to make us better people, to make us stronger people. Any thoughts, questions, controversy? Easy enough. It's, it's very clear, and you made it very clear. Thanks. Okay. Well, it's like, the, it's like the saying, we learn from our mistakes. Yeah, same similar idea. Yeah, yeah. Okay, beautiful. Well, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. 